0: Providing real solutions for real business challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplug, Season 4. Conversations with professionals across the country, exploring business topics and empowering personal growth in real estate, financial services, and the title insurance industry. Hey, Chuck, thanks for joining us now that uh, Alta One MBA Annual, MBA Compliance Risk Management and digital mortgage among the plethora of conferences are over. What's the general outlook here for the housing industry in the year ahead from the people you talk with at the trade associations and all across the country?
1: Well, Brian, thanks. And uh, yeah, you know, uh, after spending uh, weeks traveling across the country, uh, attending these various events, if there's a word I would use as to what people in the real estate industry, realty, mortgage, uh, title and settlement, it would be that they are resigned to the belief that as we move out of 2023, at least the first half of 2024 is going to look an awful lot like 2023, that not much will change. Listings will slowly improve. That may also accelerate once we get into third quarter, Uh, mentioning the Digital Mortgage Conference. uh, Mark Calabria, former FHFA administrator, talked about the number of loans that are still in forbearance where people have not made a single payment through forbearance. You know, forbearance, about a quarter of the people who went into forbearance continue to make their payments. They simply signed up so that they'd be protected if there were a problem as far as making their payments. Another um, quarter to a third refinanced during that time. So there weren't all that many loans that went into forbearance compared to the overall numbers that uh, were signed up for forbearance that were actually going into delinquency and potentially default. Calabria talked about that as forbearance winds down, those houses will enter the uh, process for delinquency and default and therefore be taken back by the lenders, and go back into the marketplace. Uh, He thinks that will give some relief as to listings, but that's probably third quarter of next year. And again, he was talking about perhaps 80,000 houses that might come up in regard to um, going into delinquency, but we're short a million four in housing. So we see improvements on listings as demand has slowed a bit, Houses are coming up for listing, and they are having price adjustments. And not just in Southern California or hot markets that are now cool, like Austin, Texas. Here in Cincinnati, uh, I'm occasionally seeing the sign that says new price on the sign that's been in the yard for a month. So there are some adjustments there. At MBA, Michael, Fran, Tony, the economist, chief economist for MBA, talked about what their projections were for mortgage rates by the end of 2024. They see a gradual easing in early 2024, probably by the feds. Now, you know, if you follow the news, if you listen to Fed Chairman Powell, it seems to be a day-by-day thing as to whether or not there's going to be some easing on rates. They'll stand pat or they may raise rates. He's taking it literally a day at a time, it seems. But the belief at MBA is that um, we will see the 30-year fixed rate down to around six and a quarter by the end of 2024, with a slow drop to that point. One problem the mortgage industry has, and it is not insignificant, is that the cost to originate a loan has gone up even more. It is over $13,000 for a lender to originate a loan. And on average, across the United States, mortgage lenders are losing about $3,000 in the origination of a loan. That is not a great business model. As I learned a long time ago, if you lose money on each file, you don't make it up in volume. So at MBA, at Digital Mortgage and some of the other events, they've talked about that mortgage lenders may keep rates up around 8% or the high sevens even if the bond prices may give some relief to it because they've got to make some money in order to stay in business. Now, again, the statistics and information that MBA provided, they talked about that some of the larger lenders who are highly automated are actually eking out a slight profit, hundreds of dollars per file. And those are some of the nation's largest lenders. Two that were mentioned at MBA were Rocket and Guaranteed Rate. And they also said, too, because of their locale being in the Midwest, lower overhead, things like that. And not as many loan officers to pay commissions to, a variety of things. But if those large lenders are making a couple hundred dollars or $300 a file, that means there's some lender out there losing $6,000 a file. So this is a problem in the mortgage industry. They continue to consolidate. We will see more consolidation from everything that seems to be out there into the uh, first half of the year. In the industry, uh, we may see more reduction in staff, especially if the first quarter is particularly slow. So the mortgage industry is concerned. And the common line that Bob Brokesmith uses, and when you and I were talking earlier, you've mentioned, but Bob Brokesmith, who is the director and CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association, says that, remember the old line that if you're in hell, or you're going through hell, just keep going. And so, you know, the advice is, you know, hang on, it's going to be a rough first half. First quarter, we'll see uh, what it looks like. And for those of us in the Midwest and Northeast, weather can be a big um, problem in regard to um, activity in the real estate market. But we may also see some refinancing coming back, even though rates are higher. Because credit card debt in this country is reaching epic proportion, and people may choose to refinance, as they historically have done in the first quarter of the year. First quarter of the year has historically been the big refinance quarter. So we may see some more refinancing. I wouldn't expect to see people obviously refinancing for rate, unless they're doing debt consolidation. But um, it's going to be pretty much... um, more of the same is the general view from everybody for at least the first half of the year. It may begin to open up a bit, especially as we get towards the election. The general view is, though, that uh, 2025 should be a pretty decent year and we may see some serious bounce back. Now, again, listening to Chris Whalen and Mark Calabria at Digital Mortgage, their concern is if the Fed starts to drop rates fairly quickly and we see mortgage rates drop, then we'll see increased demand, we will see listings also begin to drop again, we'll see prices go up, and we may create a serious housing bubble by 2027-28, we'll see, that's a long way off. But right now, we're looking for pretty much uh, more of the same here as we go into uh, 2024 and One thing, too, which I'll raise, because especially in the mortgage industry, again, automation is certainly the key to reducing cost in, well, almost any industry, but especially in mortgage. But AI is a big topic. And we just saw yesterday here, recording on Halloween, that uh, President Biden signed a uh, sweeping AI bill. And there's a lot of concern about artificial intelligence in that it can do a lot of things, but does it do it properly? And the regulators sometimes have those concerns in regard to AI. And the general mood about AI is that it will continue to be expansive as to its uses, particularly as to mundane tasks and things that uh, can be done on a fairly simplistic basis. But there are also going to be more and more guardrails in regard to AI use. And that may drive up the cost of AI, especially as we see more and more privacy laws come into effect here, particularly in the first of the year, California, of course, being uh, the uh, major state in regard to privacy restrictions and requirements that they have set by state law. So it's going to be an interesting year going into it. Uh, There's going to be um, a lot of challenges moving forward for all aspects of the industry, but we should be able to muddle through as we've been muddling through in twenty twenty three. And by the end of the year we'll start to see some daylight. At least that is the general view of things into a pretty good twenty twenty-five.
0: Well, lots to unpack there, Chuck, and I think the word that comes to mind for me is conundrum, right? This is <laughs> there's so many <laughs> things going on right now. Um, not so good, but at least generally speaking the industry as a whole has shifted that focus and that timeline or the runway if you will out a full year you know so many times it was hey rates will come back down next quarter we were seeing forecasts from mba and others that were very optimistic okay and they've revised those since then but at least now I think everybody's managing for another difficult or challenging 2024, looking ahead to 2025. And there are so many wild cards out there that literally cannot be predicted, whether it's the global unrest, whether it's oil prices, whether it's interest rates. You talked about inventory. I mean, that all by itself is a huge issue that may not get solved in the next 12 to 18 months. So Lots going on here, but, you know, in managing your business, at least it sounds like everybody now is, you know, hunkered down, if you will, for another 12 to 18 months before we start to see things turn a bit, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's generally the case. I mean, there are certainly people uh, who, in regard to the mortgage industry, and talking about that $13,000 expense, have said that the mortgage industry has not yet right-sized that um there's you know the beliefs like well what happens if things turn in 90 days going back to when dave stevens was our guest here on the podcast uh back in april he talked about it then we've had various guests talk about you know the right sizing so everybody who's in title and settlement everybody who's in mortgage everybody who's in anything to do with the real estate industry needs to be right sized now and know what their capabilities are and you know, bring in, again, as I mentioned, AI systems or BI systems for business intelligence to operate their company more efficiently and be able to use more diagnostics. Ethan Pausner of our company does that for our agents. He helps them walk through the data they already have as to be able to project out 60 and 90 and 120 days where they should be or can be. So, yeah, it's going to be challenging. And again, listings are such a big part of it. And here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have Andy Walden from Black Knight on again. And I'm sure he's going to talk about the listing issue because uh, this continues to be a problem throughout the country.
0: Yeah. You had touched on, you know, regulatory issues. And unfortunately, you know, this is when we typically get The regulators back into the mix is during a downturn. They're nowhere to be found when uh, there's boom times, of course. Then the regulators come in. uh, We start to see things pop up. And uh, we saw the first RESPA enforcement action by the CFPB in many years here. Will there be more feeding you that fastball over the middle of the plate? Will there be more? And what about state regulators, too? I mean, they're on the warpath.
1: Undoubtedly. And uh, we saw recently that uh, the CFPB announced they were going to be hiring more attorneys for enforcement actions. As a friend of mine who does respite defense work said, well, the bad news is that they're going to be hiring 75 more attorneys. The good news is they're not going to be hiring 150 more attorneys. But the Bureau is certainly very activist and and has been very activist uh, under Director Chopra. we are seeing more and more investigations by the Bureau. The latest number I have heard from various people who are familiar with people at the Bureau, that there are probably about 130 major investigations underway at the Bureau. That number may be low, it may be high. But with the settlement agreement with one of the nation's largest lenders based in the Mid-Atlantic here uh, a couple months ago, uh, it was the first RESPA settlement we've had now in about uh, five to six years. And it had to do with you know, the allegations. Again, it's a settlement agreement. There's no uh, admission of wrongdoing, but that the lender, uh, according to the allegations by the Bureau, had been providing to real estate agents and brokers things of value. Tickets to athletic events, concerts, paying for services for them. And one of the things that I think, gave a lot of solace, if there is that, to especially the title and settlement industry, is that not only was the lender brought into a settlement agreement, but the real estate brokerage, which had been the beneficiary of the allegedly uh, improper uh, things of value, they were also tagged in this. Mm -hmm. That is something that has been discussed for years, particularly in title and settlement, Is that, well, yeah, somebody who breaks the rules, the Bureau comes to them or a state regulator comes to them and they get hit. But the guy who got the money, nobody ever comes after. Yep. And the Bureau is certainly prepared to go after everyone and all who are involved in what they view as a uh, RESPA violation. And it also, too, to my mind, the fact that they're returning to RESPA, you know, in a couple of court cases, the bureau has pushed the argument for UDAP, unlawful, deceptive, acts, and abusive practices, and using that in lieu of RESPA. I think part of the uh, return to RESPA, so to speak, is it's a the statute is is relatively clear. I mean that we have the ten point sham test, which here in the Sixth Circuit has been thrown out as uh, unconstitutional, but but by and large the rules are out there. They've been there for some time, and the bureau in September, reaffirmed a number of the positions that were taken by HUD in the 1990s, including reaffirming the 10-point sham test, which was always sort of presumed to still be the set of rules that the bureau used. But their reaffirmation of it, I think, was very telling insofar as that uh, they probably want to return to RESPA in regard to some of the enforcement actions. Now, that being said, at the Bureau. And uh, going back to uh, last spring, a legal opinion written by an attorney now in private practice, who used to be a senior enforcement official at the Bureau for 10 years, that the Bureau is looking at some things, particularly in regard to affiliated business arrangements, where the affiliated business arrangement is with a group of real estate agents, not with the broker but with a pool, shall I say, of real estate agents. It may be 10 agents, it may be 100 agents. But they're looking at these a little differently from the standpoint that they say, well, RESPA provides um, certain requirements and the 10-point sham test gives you criteria by which uh, uh, there would be a decision made by the Bureau as to whether an affiliated business arrangement was bona fide or not. But at the Bureau, and again, in some of the comments made by private counsel who have been at the Bureau, is that under the Consumer Financial Protection Act, under the CFPA, there's other language in regard to what would be called UDAP. And there is this rising uh, opinion by some of the enforcement attorneys, and this is sometimes in the state level as well, And where we're seeing this in particular is in regard to the state attorneys general, not necessarily departments of insurance, but the attorneys general. And the argument is that while you may be RESPA compliant in regard to an affiliated business arrangement, again, particularly the ones they're looking at involve uh, groups of real estate agents, you may be in violation of the CFPA. So you are meeting the requirements of one law, but you're violating another. And this philosophy and concept has been sort of moving forward through state regulators as well as at the Bureau. Learned counsel who have been doing compliance with RESPA for years, uh, I would say the majority of them say they don't think this is accurate. They don't think it's a valid argument. But that will remain to be seen and will remain to be seen about how the Bureau and how the state that are looking to enforce these actions against um, or investigations into affiliated business arrangements involving groups of real estate agents. And again, I want to make it clear those seem to be the entities that the states are looking at, not so much, again, the more traditional ABAs with real estate brokers or with uh, lenders or builders. It's particularly in regard to these pools of real estate agents, they seem to be looking at those. And we're seeing more and more states starting to ask questions. So I think we're gonna see a lot of state regulatory action in 2024, particularly in this area. But I think we'll see more states also become interested, particularly in regard to the title insurance industry and affiliated business arrangements in general. So it may not just be title, it may be lenders, it may be everybody else who may be doing ABAs. But we're going to certainly see heightened regulatory activity. We're already starting to see it from the bureau and uh, but also from an awful lot of state regulators and some of those may be state regulators who in the past have not seemed to show a lot of interest into our industry. So we may see some states that again have been relatively quiet suddenly starting to uh, come out and ask a lot of questions.
0: And Chuck, speaking of the legal aspects of what we do in this industry, it seems there is a huge uproar right now with two class action lawsuits underway about commissions for real estate brokers, real estate agents. What are they about and what impact might that have on the real estate industry and what would trickle over or spill over into the title and settlement industry? We've been hearing about these things for years and it seems maybe it's finally happening.
1: Well, absolutely, Brian. These cases have been churning for a couple of years. The argument of the plaintiffs is based on how the MLS rules are set up as put forward by the National Association of Realtors. The defendants in these cases are, generally speaking, the largest real estate companies in the country, or have been, shall I say, anywhere, formerly Reology, Remax, they have both settled out of these cases. Keller Williams and Home Services are both still in them, as is NAR. And the argument from these sellers, who are the plaintiffs, is that there's was a conspiracy by virtue of how the MLS is set up to pay the buyer's broker inflated amount that the buyer really had no input and the seller had no input as to what that amount was because it was dealt with separately under the auspices of the mls which has what's known as a buyer broker commission rule where if you have a property in the multiple listing service and the mls is something that's put forward by the national association of realtors but then generally speaking adopted by most of the local associations of realtors. So it is a national format used locally, but the buyer broker commission rule sets forth that if you put a listing into MLS, you have to say as the listing broker, what are you offering by way of a co-op brokerage fee to the buyer's agent? And again, the argument is well, the buyer then doesn't really get a chance to negotiate commission. If it's two and a half or 3%, which tends to be the national average that is paid out, at least according to what has been provided in these court cases, to the buyer's uh, agent or buyer's broker, rather, the seller and the buyer really have nothing to say about it. that. This is something that's settled out once the listing agreement is signed. Uh, the seller's agreed to pay X, 5%, 6%, whatever the number is. But how that gets split out is different. And these cases could have monumental effects in the real estate industry. Many, many analysts of the real estate industry have said that if plaintiff's cases prevail, the settlements could be in the billions of dollars, but also too, that even with the reduction of properties in the marketplace now, which generally leads to a reduction in number of real estate agents, we've always seen that. But that in two years, we could see on a regular basis, perhaps 50% of the real estate agents that we now have in the country. But it could dramatically change the real estate industry about how it functions. And for title and settlement, you know, in most of the country where real estate agents and brokers tend to be the principal directors of business for title and settlement, buyer agents and buyer brokers tend to hold the majority of those territories. So, around the United States, the buyer side tends to drive the table. Some places it's the listing side, but the buyer side tends to drive the table. That could dramatically change, and that could also dramatically change about how people in the title and settlement industry market their services because it won't be at contract, it may be at listing where you have to essentially try to get the transaction referred over into Again, this is gonna take some time to work out, but in the real estate industry, shall I say that since the cases began, the general thought was there was not a high level of concern by senior members of the real estate industry, and now there are huge levels of concern. and We may see some significant changes in how realty works in the United States here in the upcoming month.
0: There are a million things I could follow up with there, Chuck, but that sounds like it's going to be a podcast of its own here in the future on FNF Unplugged. Uh, Great insight. We appreciate uh, the word on the street and want to thank you for joining us. Thank
1: you so much, Brian.
0: If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email FNFeducation at FNF.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or any endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed in this podcast.